Tracy. So a very good day, everybody. It's the 17th of May. 2022 been a very very strange year as a general comment however today we've got a very very nice looking day it's going to be hot the definition on the mountain is good um yeah good day looking forward to today so let's go across the mountain range down in about an hour we should come by car to see Alfaz del P and Altea and all that sort of area and that's where we'll find Eric good morning Eric how are you and what's your weather weather like uh, good morning Vince I'm very well and the weather is as, as you just described it's absolutely beautiful a lovely summer's day ahead and I like these temperatures now in the 70s because you're just right, aren't they? So when it gets above the assembly mark, we start getting the old sweaty neck thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? But uh, no, it's just perfect for me. So you're still uh, you're still working in old money. I, I would. Uh, I only think of it as 25, I think, today. Oh, right. Ah, well, there we are. Vive la difference, as they say. All right, then. <laughs> so uh, this is the crucial week now for the Premier League. So let's um, preface the podcast by saying good luck to your team. Good luck to my team. Um, whichever team wins, by the way, they've had a fantastic season. Both teams uh, have played exceptionally well and I think I've told you on many occasions um, as a fan um in terms of the football, watching the football, I do think Manchester City have played the most lovely football. Uh, the way the game should be played, you know, it's nice to watch. A little bit of a wobble at the weekend. So, um, it just tweaked the door open a little bit. It's all down to, really, tonight Liverpool have to go to Southampton and win there. Um uh, and win comfortably if it's going to make any relevance to the last game. Because basically, I think really, if it comes to goal difference at the moment, you're going to be there. I think that also, I'll be very, very surprised if um, it does go to Liverpool. I think on balance, we've already got two trophies and a possibility of a third. And coming second in the second one doesn't really mean a bad season for me it just means that you know uh, we've been pipped at the post by a really good team so that's how I see it um, any comments on on what I've said well the only thing is that Southampton have got a, a record of collapsing do you know what I mean conceding goals at home like twice they've conceded nine goals at home so if I was a Liverpool fan I'd be quietly confident we could certainly put a big dent in the goal difference tonight you know uh, I'm not going to say you'll score nine but Southampton, the, uh, I think they've just got 40 points. They've just out relegation zone, really. So uh, I'm very disappointed, Southampton, because we've seen them play so well and then so badly. So it's hard to judge what's going to happen tonight. If you remember last year, when he went on his knees, the manager after just beating, uh, beating Liverpool. Yes. And he was on his knees because he'd beat Liverpool. So maybe if I was their manager, Southampton, I'd say, well, look, lads, this is your last chance to make a bit of a name for yourselves this season. Just go out there and give, them a, give it the best, you know, and that's what I would do if I was a Southampton manager. But uh, having said that, being a Liverpool fan, I'd be quietly confident that we, we, we could put a few past them tonight. But you never know. Referees' decisions these days are making all the difference. You know, the teams at the bottom yeah. having to struggle because the players being sent off early doors. Uh, you'd believe that Everton would get two players sent off. Exactly. I believe it, you know. Yeah. But these are the things which can happen. So it's just like one off games now, or two in Liverpool's case. So uh, just got to be careful that you don't do anything silly and that you. Play your normal game. That's all I would say if I was a Liverpool player. Okay. Liverpool manager. Give, a, give us your, your um, prediction then. My prediction, I think Liverpool will win about 3-0 tonight. Mm. And I also think both teams will win at weekend. I uh, think City should beat Aston Villa about 3-1. And I think Liverpool should beat Wolves a similar score. But as I've just said, it, the referees and the decisions, something can just happen. And I think well, you, like you said last night, the uh, Arteta, and I, I like Arteta, talks a lot of sense. He said he was outplayed, out, outgunned by Newcastle. And at the end of the day, you know, his team just never turned up. 
And you, you can't allow for that. It's a, it's a strange one, isn't it? They've been playing well, and then they get that good idea at Tottenham and get good idea in our side. Yeah. So, but they have been playing well. Arsenal, I think, have had a good season, but a lot of people disagree, but I think they've had a good season. Yeah. For the first time with Arteta in charge, properly. Yeah, it is weird because uh, you do see, uh, uh, you know, a team that should really be doing well and then suddenly they go a bit off form and everything. Um, as far as the Liverpool situation is concerned tonight, we've got Salah not playing and we've got Virgil van Dijk not playing. So obviously, um, you know, I won't say really that uh, Salah would be the big miss at the moment because he's not played at his best for a while um, and maybe the rest before the uh, Champions League game uh, final will, will be good for him because quite frankly you know I think it's easy for us all to overlook the commitment and the um, games these guys have over the year and to go to the African nations uh, in the middle of it both he and Mane, I think um, you can see that they're both a little bit tired after probably what's been quite a, a, a difficult season. Um, difficult in, in in the amount of energy you've got to spend. Van Dijk, on the other hand, I think again, um, you know, it looked like he'd strained a muscle and um, they were taking a bit of a precaution um, bringing him off. But um, yeah, be interesting, Eric. And uh, I'm going to go to... Um, a rather strange thing that I'm going to discuss next because, um, you know, you wait to see the news in Britain. So, uh, you know, the, the, the UK news comes on and we've got uh, things like Johnny Depp and um, uh, Rebecca Vardy. And, oh, I mean, seriously, I think now and again to use the word crap is totally and utterly appropriate. And this morning um, and last night, they were busy extolling the virtues of a Blackpool player who's come out as being gay. Now, I'm not going to give his name because, quite honestly, it would defeat what I'm going to say, which is basically, it's nobody's business. And certainly for me, it's just another aside to deflect everybody away from the real important things in life. I mean, it, when it comes to your sexuality and who you are, etc., etc., it's a personal thing. You, why would you want to um, go open? You know, it's uh, very brave of him. Sorry, it, the brave thing would be to keep your mouth closed and just basically get on with your life. What they don't tell you is that maybe where there's one player who's gay, um, there's hundreds of players who aren't gay. So again, you know, it's skewing the news. It's making something uh, appeal to a certain element I don't know about you, Eric. I'm fed up to the back teeth of ridiculous, what they call, newsworthy items. What do you think? Well, we had that guy the other night, wasn't it? Well, he's got 20 years in prison and he's, he's asked for his girl to marry him. I mean, why is that news? There's people dying all over the world and they're talking about a bloke, you know, asking his girl to marry him because he's in jail for 20 years. Do me a favour, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm thinking, who, who makes these decisions? Like you just said, he, he, I think like like we've said many times that the way he tried to brainwash the public into different things and the, the distractions is the word as it proved when the the epidemic was about when he kept the football going to keep people happy. Yes. You know, if there'd been no football and everybody had to stay indoors, it would have been hard work. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think the idea of keeping the football going was a way to placate the masses and making sure that they didn't revolt. At least he had somewhere to keep him occupied. That's why I see it anyway. Yeah. At that time when it was Let's... going on. But like you see, ever since then, now the news is something new every day, which is absolutely stupid. Yeah. Not even news. As I say, these people at war, these people drawing lines where you can cross. Oh, do me a favour. Touch wood, we've been pretty fortunate over here in Spain. We don't seem to be part of this general setup that seems to be where trouble is. Well, I mean, the thing you know, is, like the this, 
This was this was national news, and to be frank with you, I think quite honestly, for that to go on a national news bulletin, you are scraping the bottom of the barrel. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a it's Blackpool, which is okay, a great club. I mean, Blackpool will not be remembered for a club with a gay footballer. They'll be remembered <laughs> for the fact that they were uh, in the Matthews Cup final when it was four uh, three. It was against Bolton. In that one, wasn't it? 1953, yeah. Yeah. It was a Stanley Matthews final. Uh, Stan Mars, I've actually got that trick, so they say, you know, uh, but it was a Stan Matthews final because he kept getting the ball and dribbling past the left back and crossing it and he kept scoring. Yeah. But it was, uh, I mean, Blackpool for me, I, I've, I've known Blackpool, not like obviously since been watching football, they were one of the top teams, you know, and they used to have, uh, well, Blackpool itself, like, it, People used to be like Stan Marks and Stanley Matthews. And in the old days, in the 50s, Stanley Matthews and Tom Finney, they were, what, the superstars of the day. Yeah. If you can understand what I mean. Like, maybe people think we've got superstars of the day today, but Stanley Matthews and uh, Tom Finney, I think they were probably the first two footballers to bring football boots out with a name on on the side. Mm. Well, I remember um, Stanley Matthews, of course, called the Wizard of the Dribble. um, And he used to sort of have this move where you'd sort of feint to go to the left and then go out to the right. (laughs) And and I I got that off pretty well. And I, you know, I had that in my sort of uh, little number of skills, you know. And Bloomfield Road and, of course, the the legends and the tangerine shirts is what people want to remember not uh, this particular headline. And I just want to speak about something on a very personal note. Um, Just for two guys who have played the game, if we were in the dressing room and, you know, everybody's got a bit of banter going and, you know, unfortunately every now and again, you know, you get somebody a bit funny with the hands, etc. I mean, you used to get quite cross about At least I did. You know, I mean, uh, the, 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 the days that we come from, I mean, you'd actually put a, you'd put a towel around you while you were getting ready. And then you'd obviously go and get your shower and whatnot. But, I mean, you'd always have a little bit of banter and whatever. But nobody would even you just wouldn't question about whether somebody was because <clears throat> we didn't really have the word gay it wasn't used then was it no correct I and mean, like you say I didn't you think you want any about wouldn't you when you think about it looking back but uh, I presume they may have been but I don't know like you've said all along it's it's a personal thing and you just get on with your life and that's the way it's got to be I mean you know yeah. you, you can't guarantee Anything. I mean, I, maybe you don't even realise you're gay until you get to a certain age. I don't know. I mean, not being that, in that case, like, you know, but I don't know. It's it, the people themselves, as you said, it's a personal thing and you just get on. As regards to Banson dressing room, one of the best part about being a football, uh, part of a football team is by being in a dressing room and in the cricket team or whatever team you play for is the banter in the dressing room. You know, when you get in on a Saturday, a Saturday afternoon, where do you go last night, Bob? And you'll say, well, I was at such and such a place. Like, you know, and you say, oh, but you, you chatted that bird up again kind of thing. You know what I mean? And <laughs> things like that. But they the kind of thing. Oh, you're just sniffing around that area. I know where you go. Well, you wouldn't but, you be... Know, these are things which, yeah. which were said and in, in, in a bit of fun, light-heartedness. I mean, I always, before I went playing, I, I mean, I'm, it's a well-known thing in football. They have these... Well, they used to have all these ghetto blasters playing music and different clubs have different people select the music. Well, I used to love playing music before I went playing football. Put me in a really good mood. And I'd go into dressing room and sing your Bobby Darren number. Hmm. Say, oh, you've been listening to Bobby Darren, have you? You know what I mean? First <laughs> <laughs> words out of somebody's mouth. Like, I've got to be singing about the knife or something like that when they got to yeah. dressing room. But these are, are things which everybody individually likes. I mean, for a professional footballer, it's a bit different, but when you're amateur and you sat home waiting ready to go out and get ready, you've got your boots ready, your bag ready, everything's there ready to go out and you're just waiting for the clock to move around so that you go and you go out and meet the lads. I think the difference, the difference for me is that, you know, we're in our day, somebody like you or me would have said, if somebody said to you, you homosexual would be the, the word, you'd say, mind your own business, it's nothing to do with you. 
Whereas these days, it's almost like they've got to run out and find a journalist to, to put some rubbish in the paper. I'm going to play a jingle and then we'll move on because uh, that one just had to be a passing sort of couple of minutes. It's Talking Football with the Silver Fox, Eric Barnes. Okay, now the sort of things that really are important are the things that tend to be sort of, if you can spot them, it's the things that you can see quite clearly that you're trying to be um, subjected to some sort of political intrigue, you know. And uh, there's this thing about Prince William being booed at the FA Cup final. Now, uh, first and foremost, I I was a little bit distracted when uh, I was watching the final because I was with the kids and we were watching the game. And, you know, when it came to the medals and everything, you know, you've seen it so many times. They go up and eventually lift the the trophy and everything. Um, I, I didn't hear how bad the booing was for um, Prince William. So, first of all, did you hear it? And was it as bad as the saying? Well, first of all, I didn't hear it, to be quite honest. And until you've just mentioned that, I didn't even realise about it. Because I'm not a person who gets a newspaper and reads the papers or whatever comes on the telly. I just get a bit browned off with being flushed with nonsense about football players, you know, facts and figures and... And I think somebody wrote that and put it in front of them and they've come out and said it and just things like that which are really boring. You know, in the old days, the person was judged on what he what he, he did on the pitch. And he used to say, oh, he's had the 10 corners now and everyone's been blah, blah, blah. You know, to me, it really does me heading out like that now. And uh, at one time, I used to think it was a good idea to be able to know the facts and figures about players. But now, from a personal point of view, watching football... It's so boring that it's all prepared beforehand, you know, that they're going to say that. And that's what annoys me. And therefore, obviously, I'd never really realised that had gone on. Okay, well, you see, I didn't sort of... I didn't watch it avidly after the game had finished and they'd done the... You know the first bit of the the um, getting the cup and and the medals. So I didn't really detect anything, but what I'm de- now detecting because basically I am in the picture, and because basically there's obviously people in the newspapers who haven't got a clue what this really is about. Um, uh, it was really a protest that's still ongoing from the 80s when, of course, uh, Margaret Thatcher, the government, and um, in particular Boris Johnson and the Sun newspaper, um, they didn't do themselves any favours around the Liverpool area, so much so that people won't buy the Sun newspaper in Liverpool anymore. Now, the thing is, um, you know, it's this business about the freedom to express yourself. Because that really is what the problem is now. Um, you know, you can't have your cake and eat it. If if you're going to sort of dictate, because that's what they've done, that all the players uh, kneel down before the start of the game for the, um, you, you know, for the Black Lives Matter and everything, um, then basically don't be surprised if other people are going to use the same uh, venue, same occasion for their political point of view. And I think that's the problem, you see, because um, I'm reading that, um, you, you know, for example, uh, when Pretty Patel, the Home Secretary, was was commenting on people booing uh, during the Black Lives Matter, kneeling and all this sort of thing, she said, well, it's people's right to express themselves. But, I mean, the minute that it goes up against the royal family, that right seems to be taken away. And I think, quite honestly, there wouldn't be very many people who would go out of the way to boo Prince uh, William. I think he's a nice young man. I think um, he's proven himself to be one of the be- one of the better royals. So I think, quite honestly, that there's a lot of stuff in this which uh, we're we're all being manipulated again. Um, I mean, would you would you would you go along with what I've said, or would you have another point of view? Yeah, yeah, I. I tend to agree with what you say. It's just that 
some people are targeted and that in this case now Royal Family for the last couple of years have been coming under attack from uh, all kinds of people and all kinds of the press you know especially with the, those two emigrating to America and stuff like that and bringing out saying about the colour of the baby and things like that you know which is all really negative stuff you know against the Royal Family and like everybody else everybody has their own opinion and you just want to get people get on with their lives. I mean, they are top figures, I agree, and they shouldn't go around causing problems, which they don't do, really, to be fair. And I just got the feeling that it's another press gang thing, you know, whereby somebody in the press in the back room is saying, right, it's about time we had a go at them again. We've left them alone for so long. Let's try this one. What can we find out? Go and have a look out there and see what you can find out and come back and report to me. Exactly. These are things which happen, you know. Yeah, this is exactly the way I see it. I mean, um, the Commons Speaker, Sir Lindsay Hoyle, uh, said to the newspaper I'm reading, I utterly condemn any fans who booed Prince William at Wembley today. The FA Cup final should be an occasion when we come together uh, as a country. It should not be ruined by a minority of fans. Totally shameful behaviour in this year of all years, the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. This is dreadful. I mean, basically... Go and look up the word dreadful. It's the tradition of football is to boo and jeer. Okay, it might be uh, that you need to reflect a little bit about Parliament. Think about Parliament for a minute. This is the Speaker of Parliament uh, where all you get is jeering and cackles when other people are speaking and listening to the people who are going to supposed to, to be making law that we all follow. You see, there are so many anomalies that really, um, they trip themselves up eventually and shoot themselves in the foot, don't, uh, in the feet, um, because basically that's what they've done here. Um, yeah, okay, I think maybe it was a shame in one respect, uh, but I think if you don't expect to hear a bit of boo in it at a, a football match, then you've not you've not understood what a football match is about for me. Well, it's just one of the things when you're a football fan. Uh, I mean, I'm not a person to do somebody because I think it's a bit pointless myself. But uh, <laughs> I can understand people who do want to do because they're venting the feelings at that moment in time, particularly if your team's losing one none, and you, their display gets the ball. You, you've never liked anyway. You just start booing them, and particularly if they play for your club as well. Nobody gets more sick than Sterling when he goes to Anfield. <laughs> Thinking that, even I feel sorry for him. Yeah. In fact, I've said many times I won't blame him at Liverpool because he just gives that much sick. The poor kid's got no chance. You know, he he just gets hammered every time he gets the ball. You have to be a very strong personality to be able to ride that kind of stuff like you. Know, and it's not just Sterling. There's a lot of footballers up and down the country. Jack Grealish is beginning to get a lot of stick now because he was the hundred pound. 100 million player, you know what I mean? First yeah. one to be bought and things like that. And he, he cheers straight away if you don't control the ball. <laughs> so it, that, that's just part of football, as you just said. So it's not my cup of tea, but I, I can see where they're coming from, uh, these people who uh, need to express their opinions. So fair play to them, let them get on with it. Somebody don't do anything stupid like throw a can or bottle like we've seen just recently. There's been yeah. a lot of throwing going on again. Yeah, you know that that to me is bad. You know. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the you know, throw coins and it could hit somebody in the eye and blind them for the rest of their life. I mean, that is a that I couldn't even put that in the thought in my mind that you could do that to a fellow human being. Yeah, whether it be a professional footballer, cricketer, or whatever he was, you know, whatever sportsman, to throw something at where it could blind them. I mean, these uh, many of these who act uh, in a crowd couldn't get up and say, you know, talk for two minutes in front of a, a, a room full of people. They are cowardly, but I think that is something which is not quite the same as a booing tradition, which I think Prince William just happened to be there as representing this establishment that they are booing against. But anyway, um, now, after the game, Jurgen Klopp uh, is complaining um, because Liverpool have to play again tonight. Now, what is um, one of the things that he does say, which makes sense to me, is 
they're playing tonight because they then won't clash with UEFA's Rangers game tomorrow. Now, I think quite honestly that, um, you know, we're playing many games this year. We have been playing many games this year at the behest of UEFA, of the Saudis, of Chinese television, of Arabian camel festivals and all this sort of stuff. I mean, um, it's got to a stage now where two teams, say uh, Manchester United and Manchester City, having their derby is dictated by somebody sitting in Abu Dhabi, um, which... Doesn't, it doesn't really make me happy, this. It makes me feel that big money, as we know, have taken over everything, including the time slots for when the match is played at the inconvenience of all the people who are the participants. And I don't think that's right. And I think Klopp is right to make the point. Um, if anybody's got a real good gripe this year... Um, and can make excuses for maybe the end of the season not being the best for them. I think Chelsea have got some of the um, best reasons for anybody to say we've had a lot of interruptions to our season. To actually play the game, knowing that you could all be out of a job by the end of the season, must have been quite difficult. And um, and when we talk about the actual final itself, it was, must have been very, very tough on Chelsea to have another penalty defeat in a cup final um so i've got to think that we should say a couple of words in admiration of the way chelsea played in the game i didn't think i thought that the final was interesting i thought it was more like a chess game at times and i did enjoy the final but um it takes two teams to make a good final i thought chelsea played quite well what did you think well it was a game where i forecast it to be a draw anyway because I think both teams cancel one another out. It was just a matter of which manager cracked first, you know, by changing the tactics of what they used. And nobody nobody cracked, so it just carried on and on and on for a, I mean, obviously, people, I think Liverpool missed a chance in the first half which could have, as I've said many, many times, that early goal is so crucial, you know, to break the deadlock yeah, you know, once you can, you've got so much to hang on to these scenes. You, you, you tend to put bodies in the way and everything, you know, and that's what happens when it's a nil-niller. And I just got the feeling that I, I found it quite a bit boring, so to because I, I could just see it going to a penalty shootout even before they kicked off. It was just one of them things. Both managers know how to play the game, and they have the players set up to make sure that they did get the draw or they won't quite, didn't get the... Uh, which uh, I think... I mean, Chelsea's got a record now of playing three FA Cup finals on the trot and losing every one of them. Mm. They won three on the lost three on the trot of Chelsea. As regards to saying they has got a thing to complain about, I think the team who can complain the most is West Ham. I think they've played the most games of anybody in the league. Yeah, but it never did them morning, and the way they came up Man City last Saturday, with only just a, and one more game to go, it was a, a credit to them and a credit to the Premier League, like Newcastle was last night. Yeah, they had nothing to play for yet. They went out there and gave 120 percent, you know, and the, the crowd backed them. And it was a that game last night. I enjoyed watching that, even though Arsenal was a bit bobbins. But I, I thought that uh, it was more enjoyable watching a game whereby one team was. I mean, Arsenal couldn't get out of their own half, really, could they? They had a couple of breaks, but they never really looked like scoring. And that's, you know, these are the kind of games which are more enjoyable because there's somebody on top and somebody going to win, and that's what happened last night. But as regards to the cup final, I was a bit disappointed in it. I'd like to have seen a few more goals. We're open, we normally open to good open cup final days on a hot summer's day where everybody's in the shirt sleeves. And we watch the game and really enjoy it. And when I lose, we always finish up having a booze and we all shake hands afterwards. And it's a really great day out. Yeah. I'm not quite sure what happened at the weekend with the Liverpool fans and the, the Chelsea fans. Yeah. Uh, let me just ask you a question, because for those people listening in from other parts of the world, we do know we have a very worldwide audience on the podcasts. So when you told me that Arsenal were a bit bobbins... What did you actually mean for the ordinary person by by that? 
Rubbish, well, it's just like you were saying earlier, you know, uh, rubbish is the word, bobbins. You know, when you used to have a bobbin, it's going yeah. back on, on a sewing machine, things like that. Yeah. It just spins round like a bobbin, but that's how it comes about, that saying, <laughs> from um, a, a Mancunian point of view. It's been used many times. Yeah. Okay. Um, I wasn't being pedantic, but I mean, I'm just thinking of some <laughs> poor Indian guy, maybe, or, you know, in another part of the world, somebody thinking, what does he mean by a bit bobbins? <laughs> bobbins. Yeah. Okay. And we go next to, let me see what I've got in my little book here. Yep. Um, right. Uh, you weren't the only one that didn't like the cup final, by the way. Uh, when I spoke to Don Woods, he uh, obviously being neutral, uh, felt the same that it was a bit boring for me as a fan of Liverpool then obviously I found it quite exciting because we hit the post a couple of times um, Chelsea had a couple of chances and uh, I'll tell you what I thought was interesting I thought Klopp's substitutions were very interesting because Salah his injury came from nowhere now, yeah, there were nobody in the area when mm, got hurt, was it? Well, it's funny because Don said to me he thought Salah had been playing well up to that point. I thought he'd been pretty anonymous. Um, you know, I didn't really, uh, I couldn't remember him doing anything of it of note. Um, but I think he's been out of form for a couple of weeks now. You know, but, but I mean, he's always a, he's always the likelihood of a threat, but he's not playing to the way that we had him playing earlier in the season. The Van Dyke thing was also uh, quite, um, well, dare I say it, a master stroke. Um, nobody thought for a minute that he'd be taken off. But, of course, with the games ahead um, and with the Champions League F- Cup final, then you've got to think ahead. And I think th- these are the sorts of decisions that your, ma- your manager, Guardiola, and uh, our manager, Klopp, and uh, other managers, maybe not to the same degree, They've got to make very unusual decisions and then hope that they're justified in making those decisions at a later point. Uh, Yeah, I was quite surprised when um, Van Dijk came off. But then I remember that, of course, we now have quite a strong back four. Uh, I mean, we've got Matip is playing very well. Uh, Joe Gomez can always come up to back four. And also this new French lad, uh, Canate, great little player, you know, or big player. Um, you know, uh, so what would have been our difficulty a couple of years ago really isn't as much of a uh, difficulty. And of course, that's probably down to the influence of Virgil van Dijk uh, in the training at Liverpool, I would imagine. What do you think? Well, as a as a manager, we've always said it, and it'll always be true. You've got to build yourself a good defence. And in the case of Liverpool, not last year, year before, when Van Dijk was injured, you know what I mean? Liverpool was in all disarray at the back, and it made all the difference. So they've now brought in other players to make them a lot stronger. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know a lot about Simicus, you know, the left back. Yeah. And I, and I know can. Not Kante, I don't know how to say it. Canate. Yeah, that's Canate, that's a word. Uh, you know, he's come in and strengthened the back four, and now they've got a good back four line, and it makes all the difference. And the main thing is, which happened to Liverpool when they lost Van Dijk, he had to put Fabinho back into the back four, which not only weakened two positions, the midfield as well, you know, defensive midfield. So, therefore, these are things which we don't really know about of what the manager sees in training, whether he will have practised putting Fabinho back in the back four, see if it makes any difference, and so on and so forth. You know, yeah. with the different players he have, you've got to make the use of what you've got. Uh, so I reckon that Liverpool now have got the complete all-round team. They probably need a stronger midfield player. They need a kind of a Kevin De Bruyne in midfield, somebody who can open up defences or... Uh, David uh, David Silver used to play for City. Somebody like that who's a like a like a, a clever player mm. who can see things other people can't. You know, at the moment I feel Liverpool's midfield is a little bit of a muchness. All hard working, all get stuck in, and uh, you just have that little don't got that craft to set the lads up up front. The lads up front tend to do the work for themselves because they're all good individual strikers in my opinion and that's why they carried on doing well Liverpool up front but what they really do need is a good midfield player 
whether uh, Declan Rice could be that man be interesting. Mm. I don't know. Yeah, um, yeah. I think you're right. Uh, Thiago is beginning to look the part. Uh, he's looking more like a De Bruyne, and they were slowly getting to where we need him to be. What I think we need more than anything is a uh, one of these menacing strikers, somebody that's the minute he's on the field, you're uh, you know you're all thinking, oh, here we go. I mean, even Lukaku has a little bit of that effect, even though at the moment he's not putting the ball away the, the way that he should be putting them away. Um, but, I mean, you know, Mbappe was... Uh, that's definitely not happening because he's going to Real Madrid by the looks of things. Um, but, I mean, there are players about and I'm pretty sure there will be somebody, um, you know, somebody will come along that uh, fits the bill. But I think also to have the option of maybe th- four... Um, as opposed to just one player that's always the threat. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's a good way to be. Um, OK, now, uh, I think we'll play the jingle and then we'll look at what's been happening. So, here we go. It's Talking Football with the Silver Fox, Eric Barnes. OK, so what we'll do is we shall come, first of all, uh, looking... Let's see, we'll go back to... Yeah, OK, we'll go back to, say, the 11th. A um, couple of games, probably not of great import. Leicester played Norwich. They won 3-0. We both thought they'd win that one, so we'll leave that one alone. Um, Everton were playing Watford. Now... Um, I thought they'd win 2-0. You thought they'd win 2-0. Uh, Watford managed to draw. I mean, really, that was one Everton. You would have expected them to win that one, wouldn't you? Well, he was certainly on the cards, particularly the way Watford's been playing. But uh, strange Everton, I don't know. I can't think work, work Everton out. They could, could still go down Everton. You know, don't, don't rule that out. Because definitely still go down. And that was the point where we thought... Three points was in the back, but not only did we think it, I'm sure everybody else thought, and it just proved a mistake. Well, let's stay with Everton, um, because when they played Brentford as the next game, which was the last game they played, um, we both, uh, well, I thought it was going to be a 2-2 draw. You thought they'd win 2-0. Now, uh, let's go to the sendings off. How did you view those? Were they justified? I don't think you can argue much about the first one. I mean, the lad just threw and he pulled him down. It's a, a definite foul and a definite sending off, in my opinion. That that wasn't an argument. Uh, the other one, uh, well, you know, referees tend to send off in the last few minutes, don't they? And I think that was one of the cases where just got sent off at the end. It's just that uh, who would have believed that Everton would have two players sent off? You, you know, Nobody sees these things coming. Leeds United, two games on the trot, a player sent off early on, not late on, early on in the game. And it just changes everything, you know. Yeah. It's kind of like the early goal. It makes a big difference. We get somebody sent off, it gives the other team encouragement. And uh, in Everton's case, he, well, I, I must admit it was a bit of a shock because I couldn't see Brentford winning at Everton because Everton needed to win that game. And Brentford had nothing to play for. Which is, as I said earlier on about Newcastle, and uh, you know, it's a credit to the league that these teams still go out there and give 100%, not only for the uh, the game itself, but for the supporters who are there who travel to these games, you know. And uh, I think fantastic performances, and that's why nothing can be taken for granted. Even tonight, Southampton, I would imagine Liverpool will beat them comfortably, but. It wouldn't surprise me. Southampton go and win it one month. You know what I mean? It's just uh, that, that's football. And if you listen to managers talking towards the end of the season when they're all about these games have to be played and they play so and so and they play so and so, and you said they all said it, and for Guardiola in particular, you never know. Anything can happen in football. Yeah. Look at City losing at Real Madrid after being two goals up yeah. on four occasions. You, you don't. I don't know, but that's what makes football a great game. And nobody knows for sure how it's going to finish up. And uh, I, I don't, well, that's why I'm a football fan. And all those people around the world are football fans because of the fact that 
We never know what's going to happen next. I know some of them are predictable. City and Liverpool this year have been fairly predictable with the results. But uh, overall, the, the games itself are fantastic because we've said it so many times. Somebody at the bottom can beat somebody at the top. Yeah. And that's what makes it great. Well, I mean, I did watch the West Ham Man City game and uh, I thought it was a great game to watch. Now, obviously, you know, we talk about how we watch the games. Obviously, I as a Liverpool fan was hoping that, you know, maybe you'd slip up. You as a Man City fan would be dying for you not to slip up. And of course, when West Ham go two ahead, um, then you do suspect something is likely to happen. So, OK, 2-0, half-time, then City come out and do what City do very, very well. They uh, draw the other team back, they get to 2-2. And then, of course, there's a penalty. Uh, no doubt about whether it was a penalty for me. It was definitely a clear-cut penalty. Um, you know, you get everybody who'll be going, oh, here we go, you know, it'll be a penalty because it's Manchester City. Ridiculous. Mm. It was a penalty because it was a penalty. Well, and then see it. Everybody can see it from behind the goal in particular. Yeah. You know, when near the ball and brought him down. But anyway, that, that's by the by. But what annoyed me about that situation, uh, Taylor, Anthony Taylor was a yard away from it and he didn't give it. And for me, that was bad refereeing. You know what I mean? When you have to go to VAR. And he was there, you can see him looking at the situation, and, and he never gave it. And then VAR, after overruling, go and have a look at the box. You know what I mean? It was uh, really, nobody has questioned that. Why did he not give a penalty? No disrespect, because uh, I come from Manchester. Anthony Taylor is from Wigginshaw. He's a well-known Manchester United fan, whether you believe me or not. He'd have to take my word for it. I know people who went to the same school as him. He used to go with his United shirt on and everything. But anyway, he says he's an Altrincham fan. You know when the referees <laughs> have to uh, yes. uh, say the Alliance, what club the Alliance is He says he's an Altrincham fan, which is a load of nonsense. But anyway, that's beside the point. But the point was it wasn't given, and then it was given. And I'd just like to know somebody... To explain to me why he didn't give the penalty in the first place. Well, it, anyway. it, it, it's about as daft as the Rovers' return. Now, you're in the centre of Manchester. Uh, you've got two worldwide renowned teams, and yet you only ever hear Stockport County fans. <laughs> you never get any <laughs> Liverpool fans visiting or Everton fans visiting mm. or anything. It's just utterly l- nonsensical. But um, going to the penalty then, um, up steps um, Mares, and uh, really it wasn't a good penalty. It was a good save by the goalkeeper. Um, yeah. But it wasn't a good penalty, was it? Well, if it had the other way, it would have been a good penalty because he went in the net. No, it was a good, I thought it was a good save. He, he he does penalties a bit like Salah, you know, where he runs up and blasts it. And to me, he didn't really blast it. You know, it wasn't as, uh, like as solid as he normally is. Don't forget, it was only a couple of years ago, he missed a last-minute penalty at Anfield when we should have won 1-0. Yeah. And he missed that one at Mahrez. But anyway... Penalties are a bag of nuts, aren't they? It, what happens is that the keeper's on a, a you know, an idea to nothing. He can't lose on it with a goalkeeper. But they're like, I'll do second the penalty can. And it's just, it is. What happens, I used to take penalties, and I know that I could never always score a penalty. There'll always be one day, maybe there's a wind blowing or something daft, or it's a bad pitch. And, they, you know, you won't hit the ball right, and it'd be safe because... Nobody ever goes on scoring penalties other than Matt Latissier, who seems to be a bastard, like, you know. Yeah. But other than that, most people miss penalties at different times. Even Salah's missed penalties. So well, Marnie, just one of them things, Marnie know? did in the cup final because he was up against uh, Mendy, wasn't it? Um, yeah. Which was very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, two international pals, you know, and... Um, Anyway, that was that. OK, yeah. let's come to another decision which really baffled me. And it's all very well trying to make it technically acceptable. It isn't. And it was Burnley playing Tottenham. Uh, Burnley desperate for survival. Tottenham desperate to get in the top four. And then you get um, something which was obviously not 
clear and obvious. If it's a handball, I mean, what is a, what is a person supposed to do if, you, you, you know, everybody with any bone of uh, anything that goes anywhere near common sense, you'll know that to be able to balance yourself, your arms are in an important part of your balance. If you're jumping... Yes, even more so. But, you know, if you've got a ball rocketing at you and your arms are attached to your body and you try to keep them out of the way, if it touches your arm, for me, that is never a penalty because it was never obvious and it was never clear that the person is trying to stop the ball with his arm. And uh, I, I can see why Burnley got so cross about it. I would, I would have been furious. What did, what did you make of it? It's the old story where the top clubs seem to get the rubber to green, and uh, I don't even think the Tottenham players are feel for handball, if I'm not mistaken. I'm not sure, but uh, they've messed about with this handball rule somewhat terrible. Originally, from my days of playing football, intentional handball—that was that what a penalty. You know where you handle the ball, absolutely, intentionally, yeah. And that to me is a penalty. Nowadays, I mean, even. The, ball it come off this lad's chin onto his hand that he was all he was in control of anything or he was trying to make, take an advantage of, of his hand or putting his hand there to stop it going past him it just hits his shin and spun up onto his arm and then it, as i say i don't believe the Tottenham support uh, players appeal for it and anyway var like stuck reynolds in and said right we'll have to have a look at this one Oh, yeah, definite penalty. And it was a bit of a sickener that I must Well, admit. they make the referee go and look at it, don't they? So if the referee has gone to look at it, then the referee is he's either part of a decision-making process or is the decision-maker. And so for me, um, I mean, I've got to the stage of thinking that there's a department of brown envelopes. And, um, you know, for Tottenham, obviously, that was one where they were given a brown envelope away. It was just utterly, utterly nonsense. And, and well, this, is, uh, this is why I say, Vince, nowadays, you just don't know what's going to happen at these football matches. Things are happening and... Uh, it's just completely out of everybody's control except that them and VAR. For some, the worst of it is VAR. They're the same referees who's making mistakes week in, week out anyway. Yes. Making the same mistakes by even looking at a, a blinking TV recording where it's, it's there in front of them. I don't know how many times people have seen people when it's not been offside and they give offside and vice versa. Yeah. It's just diabolical and that. As soon as you get rid of them referees in that box and put somebody in who's neutral, somebody who's uh, not involved in football, somebody who has been involved in playing football, which would make all the difference because they know the rules, but they don't know the game. Yeah. Okay. well, we've got uh, quite a few to predict. and We've only got uh, 12 minutes left. So we start off. Villa take on Burnley on the 19th. So, uh, how do you see that one going? Well, I'll give up now. I mean, I thought I always pick the teams that's got to win. And in this case, Burnley's got to win. But we don't know about Villa, do we? Because of the attitude of the teams that are playing all the other teams, I've got to go for a Villa win. And I feel sorry for Burnley because I think they're going to go down now. OK, scoreline? 1-0 Villa. OK. All right, now, I've got your last week's prediction because we didn't have the weekend games to look at and uh, you'd thought Burnley would have won that one. Uh, but uh, I I did put Villa down for a 2-1 win. Um, Chelsea play Crystal Palace. How do you see that one going? And, uh, this, this should be a good game. and You've got to be a little bit careful here, Chelsea, because I think Tottenham could overtake them if they win their game. I beg, your, par I beg your pardon, it's Chelsea-Leicester. Do beg your pardon. Oh, right, I was going to say Crystal Palace. I've just got a funny feeling Crystal Palace play Man United, but I'm not sure about that. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. Leicester, who I thought had packed in and gone home and gone on the holidays, went and won 5 one at weekend at uh, Watford. I think it was Watford. It was Watford, and, yeah. Uh, uh, so, uh, Leicester, I'm going to go for the Chelsea win because I think they need to win to stay in third place. OK, so you've kept that the same as when we spoke last week. And uh, I say Chelsea 2-1. Everton, Crystal Palace. Woof. 2-2 for me. Hmm. 
Yeah, but in Crystal Palace. Is that a definite fixture, that one? I just had the feeling that Crystal Palace play Man United. I don't know why. No Crystal Palace play Manchester United on Sunday, the 22nd. Oh, right. right. You're thinking then about that. Oh, yeah, I'm going for the draw. Okay, one uh, all. all. Okay, so that's changed from nil two last time we spoke about that. But then again, we've Mm. seen more football. Okay, so uh, let's go Crystal Palace, Manchester United. I fancy Crystal Palace two nil. Okay, I'm going two one as well. Okay, Arsenal, Everton. Uh, That's the one I was thinking of before when you said Everton. Yeah, Yeah, I've got to go for the. After that performance last night, Arsenal's got a turn up at weekend to put the last home game at season. Crowd behind them. Arsenal win one 0 Okay, I'm going for two two on that. Um, I just feel Everton have got it. They've, I mean, you know, this is a, a big, big club fighting for its existence, or at least you know, in the Premier League. Chelsea, Watford. Got to be a home win five 0 Okay, four one for me. So we were on the same page with that one. Uh, now, we won't know uh, what happens with uh, Southampton till later today, but they go to Leicester at the weekend. So, what do you think of that one? I go for a draw, nil nil. Okay, I'm going 3 1 Leicester. Right, nil nil. Okay, Brentford and Leeds. Big, big game for Leeds, this one. Brentford. Definitely, definite win for Leeds. I was talking to my mate the other day. And he, a lot of them have given up, you know, but he's going down to Brentford for the last game of the season. You know, he was there at weekend, he got a season ticket at Leeds, and they got a draw. At the, I did trust that they managed to get a point at weekend. And I don't want to see Leeds get down because they've made a big effort since they come into the Premier League. They've had so many injuries, and as I, I think I said last week, the reason I thought they might get down is because they've run out of luck. Do you know what I mean? But maybe that scoring that goal in the 90-odd minutes to give them an equaliser might have just saved them. And I just got the feeling they'll go to Brentford and get a result 2-0 for Leeds. OK, now I think Brentford will win that one 2-1. I hope I'm wrong because obviously uh, it's uh, Rob's team, but I'm just thinking of the way that people have been playing. Uh, Burnley, Newcastle. Well, thinking I'm not quite sure if Burnley win this to stay up. If they do, I'm going to go for a 1-0 Burnley win. OK, I'm going 2-2 because I've seen Newcastle definitely look a stronger team. Uh, Burnley don't look a bad team. They shouldn't be going down. Um, Let's hope they don't. Um, Now, Man City, Aston Villa. I'll go first. 2-0 Manchester City. Well, we should win, I agree with you. I mean, you know, it's funny... That season when we finally won that last game when United lost the league and we won 3-2 after being 2-1 down in 90-odd minutes. And uh, that shows you what can happen in football. But I just can't see City losing to Aston Villa. So I'm going to go 2-0 City. OK. Norwich, Spurs. Big win for Spurs. Yeah. 4-0, I think. Oh, I put down 4-0 as well. Mm. OK. Brighton, West Ham. This will be, a, I mean, for the end of the season game, this should be quite a good match because both teams play attacking football. Both both teams uh, have nothing to lose, really, although I think West Ham, if they win, they're definitely in Europe. You know, I don't, I don't think, well, United probably can go above them, I'm not quite sure, but I, I think they're still in Europe, so I'm going to go for a, a two-all draw. OK, and I'm going for a 2-1 away win for West Ham. Uh, although Brighton do play some nice football and, uh, yeah, could go either way. Um, Liverpool Wolves. I think Liverpool will win 3-1. OK, I've only put down 2-1, but then again, I've been putting 2-1 down for a long time. Yeah, because some sweaty palms if it's only 2-1, lad. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> Liverpool have got to win the games. You know, you, you've got to be real. I think the trouble is, you see, a lot of people don't look at things realistically. Rob always tells me Leeds are going to win, and I say to him, Rob, that's not realistic. And he says, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give a score against my team. Well, I think unfortunately, um, I don't know why Leeds just haven't got that cutting edge for me at the moment, and I hope they don't go down. But you're choosing between um, Everton, Leeds and Burnley. I mean, of those three, which one would you prefer to go down? 
Well, being truthful, I don't want to see Leeds go down because I want them to stay in the Premier League because they've been a credit to the Premier League, uh, whether they rob the fan or not, but they have been fantastic. Yeah, I agree. And they've just been so unlucky with injuries and Bamford's not played all season. They've had a really tough time of it and for that reason, I don't want to see him go down. On the other hand, Burnley have been flirting with relegation for a few seasons now and it's reached that stage whereby they could slip through the trapdoor. Whereas we all know Everton's a great football club and we don't want to see Everton go out of the Premier League because they've been a credit to the Premier League over the years. It's just the fact that it's a possibility. But for me, I think Burnley will go down. Yeah, I think I'm agreeing well, with I you, actually. I down, by the way. I never want anybody to go down because when you're a football fan, as I've been over the years, gone through all the division, we've dropped through the trapdoor into the third division, Man City, and I've been the City supporter all my life. And it's it's a terrible feeling, a gut feeling, that when you get that you fix yourself the next year and you look at them and you think, oh, that's what you've got to look forward to next year. Mm-hmm. And that's why I never wish relegation on any football fan because it's one of the worst feelings you can get and for me I, I don't want Burnley to get down but if I have to say somebody's going down I think it'll be Burnley Well as I tell you you know at the age of 16 I had a trial with Trammy Rovers and you know they've always been one of these teams that seem to be on the verge of becoming good again uh, we went right down out of the football league we were going to look like it was going out of existence at one time and then they sold uh, a piece of land which they owned which is very unusual because there I think there's only two teams actually own their own land and Tramir is one of them you know so then they got themselves going again and uh, I mean this year they really got near the playoffs and then they just sort of disintegrated towards the end but it was always a question of do we stay up uh, sorry, do we stay where we are and not go up and at least get a bit of money towards, uh, you know, a good season? Yeah. Or yeah. And, of course, another thing, I think I'm right in saying we had one of the very first black players in the league playing for us. It was a, uh, it was a guy called Lonnie Oniali, I think his name was. Well, and, um, it's easy for you to say. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was one of those uh, things where we used to have, always have the old Everton and Liverpool players. And, uh, you know, Tommy Eglinton, Peter Farrell, the old really great stars, you know. And um, I can well, I even... Joe Mercer started there, if I'm not mistaken. But I could be wrong. Mm. He started there, though, and he took there, Joe Mercer. Well, I he didn't know that. I think he was born in that area, you know, as well, Willow Way. Right. And, uh, well, when I'm that bad, I must congratulate Stockport County on getting back into the football league. I'm really chuffed about that because uh, Stockport County have always been uh, uh, kind of on the periphery of Manchester, as you know. Yeah. And uh, it, it was a sad thing you've been out of the league now for 10 years and they made the way back at weekend and uh, a fantastic episode. So chuffed for them. I've got some friends who live in Stockport and we've always had a close association with Man City. When I was involved with Man City, they were one of our kind of friendly clubs where we helped out, you know, pass people on. In fact, I had one of my players who City, he was just too old for City's youth team and they passed him on to Stockport. You know, Ken Barnes was a manager in them days uh, in charge of the scouting and all that. And uh, Stockport, I've always been a part of, in my opinion, Man City anyway, you know, they and most people from Stockport are City fans. Anyway, that's why I just got congratulate them. Just reminding me talking about Tramley. Yeah, well, I mean, don't forget that uh, you'll find more Stockport County fans in the Rovers' return than Manchester United <laughs> or Man City fans. So they, they get a better advert every week, don't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's, it's good to see these teams come back. I mean, it's, how, how can we say, as I just said about supporters, People who supported that team from the year plunk back, you know, and it's yeah. fabulous, isn't it? So you think about that. Well, I used to go. Themselves. I used to go running along Borough Road, Birkenhead, to go and uh, pay me. I think it was sixpence to go in and watch um, Trammy Rovers, and uh, they were happy days. But um, how things have changed with the money. I mean, the money we we haven't even talked about today, so we're not going there. Eric, uh, okay, so we'll finish the podcast by me saying good luck uh, to your team, and uh, obviously, I hope you feel the same about my team. But uh, whichever way, I will understand if not. 
Well, always been a little bit biased, Man City, you know. Go away. <laughs> we, we, we're going for the... Uh, we're going to, we're going to make sure we do win something. You know what I mean? We don't want to win nothing at the end of the season. So <laughs> I think Jack Greeley said on the telly the other day, he said, to actually get down to the last game of the season, have a chance of winning the league. He said, it's fantastic. You know, and I, I agree with him. But 38 games and you come to the last day of the season, and if you win it, you win the league. It's a, it's a daunting task, but it's a good one, isn't it? Eric. Because nobody ever knows. <laughs> I look forward to speaking next week. OK, but see you the champions are then, lad. Cheers, right, Eric. Take care, Vince. Bye-bye. Cheers, mate. Bye. It's Talking Football with the Silver Fox, Eric Barnes.